Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. We worship you this morning, Jesus. And it is right for us to start this morning by acknowledging how good you are and how good you've been and continue to be to us, your people. And even this morning as we start a new series by sharing our faith, we know, Jesus, that it starts in that place of the joy of our salvation. Our great desire is for others to find the life that we found in you. And so this morning we're reminded of just how blessed we are to be the people of God. The peace and the joy and the hope that we found in Jesus. That it is a foundation for everything that follows, that we might share that hope with others. And so we pray this morning, I pray this morning, Jesus, would we, would we be reminded? Would we see afresh your goodness? Would we remember from where you actually pulled us out of the depths, the brokenness, the lack of hope, the darkness that you pulled us out of. And then you welcomed us into the kingdom and into the light. We're so grateful this morning, Jesus, for who you are, for everything that you've done. You are our king, you're our father and you're our friend. How blessed we are to, to walk daily with the king of kings know him as a brother. May we never take it for granted, Jesus. And we just honor you this morning for who you are. We honor you for the sacrifice that you made. And we pray, Jesus, that joy, the joy of our salvation, may it be the foundation for everything that we talk about this morning. This we pray for in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen, amen, you can take a seat. Fantastic. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to church. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning. This is the start of a brand new series for us called People of Peace. Now, I'm imagining that most of you have no idea what that is referring to, but that's okay. Hopefully today we'll unpack some of that language for you guys. You know, I asked John O'Miles to come and run a workshop for our young adults last year. It was all about evangelism and how to craft an effective testimony. But I kept that part on the down low when I was marketing it, right? I just left all of that out of it. Because I had a feeling that if I told our young adults that's what we're gonna be talking about, that it might affect their engagement and maybe even their attendance, right? That doesn't mean, I'm not saying anything bad about it. I just had this feeling so it was the old bait and switch. It was classic and it worked beautifully, by the way. They all came and then we spoke about it and it was fantastic. Now, I had that feeling because that's something that's true for a whole lot of us, right? And we're kind of scared about this whole thing of, of sharing our faith. The word evangelism oof, kind of terrifies us. So on that conference, we didn't even use the word evangelism. We made a conscious effort to use different language because even that word, evangelism, has so much baggage. We hear it, 
And immediately you think about the guy standing on a corner, just smashing people with hellfire and brimstone and think, oh, no thank you. I'm busy that day. I really think I am. I don't know what it is. My dog has died. Something's happened. I'm busy that day. That's true for a whole lot of us, right? That's a problem. We need to be real for a second. It's a huge problem because right alongside that fear is a huge amount of guilt. You can't read the Bible and not come to the conclusion we're called to share our faith. I mean, it's just inescapable. So right alongside that fear is an enormous amount of guilt. 2 Corinthians chapter five, we're Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. That's a beautiful thing. Acts chapter one, but you will receive power when the spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus himself in Matthew chapter five, you, church, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do a people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and its light gives light to everyone in the room. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We know what God is calling us to do. We understand the importance of it, but we're just terrified of rejection. I don't want to Bible bash people. We just really don't want to be that guy. I'm not sure if we'll have the words, if we'll just stuff it up. So we find ourselves paralyzed by fear. It's not a good thing. It's not the way that it's meant to be. I know that's not all of you, but it is a lot of us. We want to change that. I want to change that in me. It's the whole point of this series. That's what it means, people of peace. You'll understand a little bit as we get into it, but why don't we start by unpacking Luke chapter 10 together. So if you've got your Bibles here this morning, I'd encourage you to open up in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have your Bibles here this morning, totally fine. It'll be up on the screen for you. This is our passage this morning. After, the Lord had appoint, after this, sorry, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but there's workers a few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. His harvest field, by the way. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, underline that, promotes peace, we'll get into that. That's the key right there. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. I love this passage. I love that Jesus starts by building our faith. Sends them out two by two. That's, That's not nothing, right? It's significant. It's a pattern within Scripture that Jesus always sends us out 
in two by two. Which means the mission is something to be done in community. It's not a solo thing. It's something that's meant to be done in community. What I really want to focus on is verse two. Because Jesus says something that should change everything. Should change the way that we see evangelism. He says the harvest is plentiful. Now, we're good Baptists, right? We're people of the word, so we take it seriously, right? We do that, absolutely. But I wonder how many of us genuinely believe the harvest is plentiful. Intellectually, we'd agree. I mean, the word of God is infallible, so how could we not, right? Intellectually, we agree. But deep down, I wonder how many of us genuinely believe the harvest is plentiful. When we look at our society, how far our culture has fallen, how anti it is to the things of God. And if we're honest, I think a lot of us would say it doesn't look all that plentiful out there. It looks kind of hostile, kind of sparse. And this is where we've just got to make a choice. Do we believe the words of Jesus or not? It's like a line in the sand moment, church, where we've just got to make a choice. Do we believe Jesus or not? Because I think a lot of us are held back by a lack of hope. It's almost like we've been beaten down by the narrative of our culture, and yet I hear the words of Jesus, and I'm challenged by my lack of faith. I don't know if you relate to that, but I am challenged by my lack of faith. And I feel like God is reminding us this morning, I'm still at work, still drawing people to myself, still building my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. It's a promise that he gave to Peter. It's still true because he's still faithful. And we, we can trust Jesus to do his bit. He's always been faithful. The question is, are we willing to join him in that? Because that's the other half of verse two. He says, the the harvest is plentiful, and here's the challenge, but the workers are few. The workers are few. That's incredibly challenging to you and I this morning. The issue isn't with the harvest, and that's what we think, right? We think the issue is with the harvest, and Jesus is saying, no, it's not. It's with us. We are the people of God set apart for his purposes, but there's just not enough of us with a hand to the plow. And you've got to understand, that's an identity thing, an identity thing. This isn't something that we do, this is who we are. There is no such thing as an unsent follower of Jesus. Poor English, I know, but you get the point. It just doesn't exist. Some of you are sitting there this morning and you're feeling a little jaded a little bored. You're following Jesus, but there's just no spark, no sense of purpose and joy. And you need to know this because you've made it all about you. And it was never meant to be all about you. And you've lost sight of your identity because that's not who we are. That's not what the kingdom is about. That's not what the church is about. That's not who we are. And we're saved for a purpose. 
The church has a calling on it. Each and every one of us has a calling on our lives. And in that calling is the fullness of life that Jesus has for you. In that calling, there is significance and purpose and joy. Because you're about the things of eternity. And I just feel like God is saying to us this morning, don't settle for an ordinary life. Jesus has called you to so much more. Don't settle for an ordinary life. Step into the calling that Jesus has for you. That's where there's purpose. That's where there's joy. That's where there's significance. And too many of us are just messing around with consumerism. And we need to get about the calling that Jesus has placed on our lives. I love how Matt Chandler puts it. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind. He said, the more that you make it about you, the more empty and miserable you'll be because our joy is woven into his mission. It's become a mantra for me that our joy is woven into his mission because this is who we are. I'm not talking about what we do. I'm talking about who we are. Our identity. Jesus says, go. Verse three, go. Live out the calling that I've placed on your life. Not everyone will be open. Not everyone's hungry. Verse three makes that pretty clear. But the harvest is plentiful. Stay focused and dependent. That's the picture of verse four, right? But go. The harvest is plentiful. I pray that we would believe that this morning. That the Lord would open our eyes to see that. You know, I remember hearing a story about a guy who was known as the George Street Evangelist. And I just want to warn you, right, as I tell you this story, it will probably sound too good to be true, okay? But I'm not lying to you. You can just Google it, okay? This guy has his own Wikipedia page, and we all know that Wikipedia never lies. Does never have any inaccurate information ever, okay? So just trust me, or slash Google it, okay? George Street Evangelist, okay? Follow along with me, all right? And the story starts out with the pastor in South London, all right? And the service is finishing this small Baptist church in Crystal Palace when this guy up the back stands up and says, excuse me, pastor, I'm gonna share a testimony. He says, a couple of months ago, I was visiting some friends and some relatives in Sydney. I was walking down George Street when a strange little white-hand man stepped out of a shop, put a pamphlet in my head and said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you died tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. Nobody had ever told me that. And I thanked him. And I thought about that question all the way home. When I got back, I called a friend who I knew was a Christian and he led me to Christ. And I'm really thankful to the Lord and I'd love to fellowship here with you guys. And everybody thought, oh, that's so nice. We love those kinds of testimonies. And let's be honest, when somebody raises their hand 50-50 whether or not it's gonna be rubbish or not, we really don't know. <laughs> let's be honest, we're all nervous, but that's a goodie, we like that testimony. And that same British pastor flew to Adelaide the following week for a conference. And in the middle of that conference, a woman comes up to him for prayer. 
Lydia wanted to establish where she was at with the Lords, and so he asked her, and she said, well, a couple of months ago, I was visiting some friends in Sydney. I was doing some last-minute shopping on George Street when this strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop, put a pamphlet in my hand, and said, excuse me, man, are you saved? If you died tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got home, I, I found the closest church and the pastor here, not here in Adelaide, right, led me to the Lord. And this guy's thinking, man, that's incredible. Well, that's the second person that I've met in a fortnight who has the exact same story. What are the chances? But it gets better. And I promise you this is real. I promise you. And Google it for yourself. It gets better because that same pastor headed off to preach at a little church in Perth called Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. It's true. I heard this on YouTube. That's where I found this story. <laughs> and he came and he spoke at our church. Now, this was probably 30 years ago, something like that, right? This is when we were actually in Mount Pleasant, but that's fine, okay? And he came and he spoke at our church. And when he'd finished, he says one of the elders took him out for dinner. Don't know who that was, but good on you for showing some hospitality, right? And while they were eating, he asked the elder how he came to the Lord. And the elder said, well, I grew up in this church. I came through Boys Brigade. But I never made a commitment to Jesus. I just jumped on the bandwagon like everyone else. I was in business. And a couple of years ago, I was in business to Sydney. This obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a shop, put a religious pamphlet in my hand and said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? I tried to tell him that I was a Baptist elder. And the truth is that it just made me so angry. So when I got back to Perth, I told my pastor, expecting him to give me some sympathy, but instead he told me he'd been worried about my salvation and my relationship with the Lord for years. And off the back of that conversation, he led me to the Lord. I think that pastor was probably Frank Smith, for people who remember Frank Smith. Now this British pastor is thinking, well, what's happening here? Like there's something significant happening here, right? This is kind of, this isn't by chance, there's something happening here. So he started to share those testimonies at the various conferences and events that he was speaking at. And time and time again, people would come up to him at the end of the conference and say, you know what, that's my story. I was walking down George Street in Sydney and this strange little man stepped out of a shop, put a pamphlet in my hand and said, excuse me, are you saved? He's speaking at a Keswick convention in London. Three elderly pastors come up to him and say, you know what, that happened to each of us respectively about 20 to 30 years ago between the three of them. He goes to a missionary convention in the Caribbean. A group of missionaries come up to him, same thing. Six months later, he's in northeast India speaking at a convention to 5,000 missionaries. He doesn't share the testimony because he thinks there's probably no way that there'd be a connection, right? The head of the mission organization takes him out for a meal at the end of it. And the pastor asks him how he became a Christian, and he says, Well, I was in a really privileged position. I worked for the Indian diplomatic service, I got to travel the world. As a part of my work on one occasion, while I was serving in Sydney, Australia, I was walking down George Street, doing some last minute shopping, when a little white haired man stepped out of a shop, put a pamphlet in my head and said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? 
I thanked him very much, but it troubled me. So when I got back to India, I sought out my Hindu priest. He couldn't give me any assurances. Couldn't do it. I just kept asking him, kept bugging him. And eventually, just to satisfy my curiosity, he told me to go chat to the local ministry, missionary. Sorry, Fateful mistake. That day, that missionary led me to Christ. I left Hinduism immediately, started to prepare for the ministry. And by the grace of God, here I am leading this organization, 5,000 missionaries. And we're seeing thousands of people come to Christ. Tens of thousands of people. Now, I want to be really clear. I'm not talking about his methodology. I'm not sure how effective that would be in our cultural context, right? That's what he felt like the Lord was asking him to do. Awesome. Who am I? Who am I? I'm not trying to advocate for his methodology. I just want you to see the fruitfulness. You know the beautiful part of that story? Eventually, he goes and he speaks at a church in Adelaide. And he, I was in Sydney, sorry, and he asked him in Guyana. He says, do you know this guy? And he says, yeah, I do. Goes and has a cup of tea with this guy. You know that man had never seen anyone respond, ever. He'd done it for 40 years. Never seen a single person respond. And yet I would say to you, hundreds of people were impacted by his obedience. I want you to see the fruitfulness. I don't know about you, but, but I want to see the lost find life in the name of Jesus. I want to see the kingdom come. I want that joy, that significance, that purpose in my life. And I just feel like the Lord is saying to us this morning, don't settle for a safe, ordinary life. I'm calling you to so much more. You get to be a part of that, that joy, that significance. And you might be sitting there thinking, but how? Well, the principle that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 10 is the person of peace. Verse 5 says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace, the Greek there is actually son of peace or person of peace, hence the title of this series. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on them. They'll embrace it. If not, it'll return to you. That word peace is rene. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom. If you're familiar with Jewish culture, you know the shalom was used as a greeting. It means peace be upon you. But that peace isn't just the absence of conflict, it's the presence of something more, something better. Shalom literally means complete or whole, but what it's really pointing to is the fullness of life that God has for us. That's what it's pointing to. And we're carriers of the kingdom. Carriers of the shalom of God. It's the whole point of that greeting. That's what we want to bless people with, the healing and wholeness that we've found in Jesus. It's our gift to the world. And the great news, the good news, that should build our faith, 
is that Jesus is saying that as we live that out and demonstrate the good news of the kingdom, people are going to be drawn to that. They're going to be drawn to the shalom that we found. That is a person of peace. They're drawn to the peace, to the shalom that we carry. Matthew's account just reinforces that principle. Matthew chapter 10 says, whatever town or village you enter, search there for a worthy person. It's not about value or importance. That word means fitting or appropriate. Search for a worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. Peace be upon you, right? If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust from your feet. That's the paradigm that Jesus gives us. We're looking for people of peace. Matthew even tells us how to identify them. He says they'll welcome you and serve you and listen to your words. Because they're drawn to the fullness of life that you have. We're not Bible bashing people. We're not trying to force open doors. We're just stepping through the one that God has already opened. Joining him where he's already at work. And it's a beautiful thing. We're demonstrating and declaring the good news of the kingdom. That's our bit. We demonstrate and declare the good news of the kingdom. That's verse 9. When healing is just one element of the shalom that's found in the rule and reign of King Jesus, he's not being prescriptive, he's just saying, show people the kingdom. Carry it with you wherever you go and then, and then live it out so that people can see it. Yes. They might taste and see the goodness of Jesus. The difference that he makes in people's lives. And we don't have to overcomplicate it. Church, the king calls us to love people, to serve. To be full of grace and mercy. He calls me to show hospitality, to be generous and to be quick to show honour. He says, I want you to encourage people and pray for them because each and every one of you is an ambassador for the kingdom. And as I walk in obedience to that, I'm, I'm demonstrating the kingdom of God. I'm showing people what life looks like under the rule and reign of King Jesus. But here's the thing. That demonstration is usually what opens the door for declaration. So if you're gracious and kind and actually forgive people, they're going to notice. Because that's just not something that our world does. And maybe they ask you why. And then you get to say, you know what, I'm a broken person, just like you. But God has forgiven me. He's been so gracious to me. And I know that I can't receive it and then refuse to give it. It just isn't right. Demonstrate and declare the good news of the kingdom. That's the calling. When we step into the paradigm that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 10, we see how easy and natural it can be. I don't have to be a Billy Graham to love people, to live out my faith and be ready to give an answer for the hope that I have. I don't have to be. Every one of us can do this. 
know it's more effective than 10 incredible evangelists? A thousand who are having a crack. There's a thousand of us in this church. Imagine a thousand of us just having a crack, doing our best, demonstrating and declaring the good news of the kingdom. That is so much more effective than even 10 of us who are incredibly effective. The networks that you have, the, God, the place where God has actually placed each one of you. I can't do that. That's you. There's a thousand of us in this church. We don't have to be the best. But man, if we had a go, imagine the difference, the things that God could do in and through this place. We just have the eyes to see the people of peace that he's placed in our lives. Before we head into a time of response, I want to finish with a story. We used to live on the north side. We, we built a house in this estate up in Butler, and there was a, a, a Facebook group for that estate. Said so would have probably been only two or three at the time, something like that. So Anna posted in the group to see if there were any other mums who wanted to catch up for a play date, and this young single mum replied. She lived just around the corner, which was awesome. They met down at the local park. They were just chatting and getting to know one another. And then the other mum said, oh, what does your husband do? Which is an innocuous question, right? People ask that kind of thing all the time. But Anna had kind of already picked up that this young lady wasn't a believer and wasn't really interested in the things of God. So she, if she was honest, she would say, I was kind of nervous about answering. She actually said to me when she got home, she said, I think that's probably the end of that friendship because after I told her that you're a pastor, the conversation just died. Uh-oh. She said, I was just sitting there in this awkward silence thinking, man, that didn't go so well. A couple of days later, that young man reached out for another play date, which was surprising to Anna, right? He thought, this is it. We're never meeting up again. But they met up again, which is awesome. And Anna, in her usual blunt style, because if you know my wife, you'll know. She doesn't have a filter. She just comes out and says it. You laugh, but it's tough to live with. No, I'm joking. <laughs> She's just blunt, all right? She just says it. can't be really good. This time it was really good. She, said, she actually said to this other young mum, you know, I, I just didn't think you'd want to catch up again. I thought that after you'd found out that I was a Christian, that my husband was a pastor, that you wouldn't want anything to do with me. And the other mum said, no, what are you talking about? That's not it at all. I, I went really quiet because I thought that you wouldn't want anything to do with me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a good person. And I just didn't think that you'd want to hang out with someone like me. In the end, we were able to build a relationship with this young mum and her daughter. She came to church once or twice. And she's not a believer never made that commitment, but it felt like we were able to play a part in, in changing her perception of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And I'm grateful for that. It might just be a part in her overall journey. Are we driven by fear, motivated, controlled by fear, or are we driven by the love of Christ? It's a challenging question. God is asking each and every one of us this morning. Here's how I want to finish. 
And paradigm is all about identifying the people of peace that God has placed in our life. The harvest is plentiful. We believe that. So we believe that God has placed people of peace in every one of our lives. A person of peace welcomes you. They, they listen to you and often serve you back because they're drawn to the shalom, the, the healing and wholeness, the fullness of life that you found in Jesus. And so the opportunity this morning is to say, Jesus, would you give us the eyes to see? Here's a simple prayer that I'd love for you to pray with me in just a moment. A prayer could be anything like this. Jesus, I know you're at work. I know the harvest is plentiful. I am your worker. It's who I am. So open my eyes to see the people of peace in my life. It gives you a name. I'd love you to write it down. So you could be intentional about it. You can start to pray for this person. You can get your connect group praying for this person. How awesome would it be to see our connect groups praying for the people of peace in our lives? And then actually thinking about how we could intentionally build a relationship and invest into that relationship to love and to serve and to demonstrate the kingdom to that person. What I want you to do. So we're going to give the Lord some time to speak. I'm just going to let you, as you and the Lord, pray that simple prayer. Ask that the Lord would open your eyes. And then if he gives you a name, write it down. And let's be intentional about it. Let's pray. you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.